I'm Ayelet Marinovich, your host. Welcome back to Learn With Less, a family enrichment program for parents, caregivers, educators, and infants and toddlers of all developmental levels. In this podcast series, we get together to sing a few songs, discuss ideas for play, outline some insight about early development, and talk about life as a parent or caregiver in these early years of parenthood. The mission of Learn With Less is to provide confidence to new parents that you can support and connect with your baby or toddler without having to buy a single toy. If you you'd like to learn more about learning with less or about my best-selling books, Understanding Your Baby or Understanding Your Toddler, open a new tab in your browser to my website, learnwithless.com. If you enjoy this episode, I hope you'll take just a moment of your time to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. This allows us to reach more families and professionals and share our values of community, playfulness, inclusivity, simplicity, and education when it comes to early learning and early parenthood. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. It's nice to see you here today. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. It's nice to see you here. We can start by saying hello to the people who are with us. Hello to I yell it. Hello to the singers. Hello, 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 hello. Hello to the babies. Hello to the toddlers. Hello, hello, hello. Since I don't know your name, I will help you sing the song and you can fill it in. Ready? Hello to your child's name. Hello to your name. Hello, 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 hello. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. Today we've got a special guest on Learn With Less, Brandy Jordan, founder of The Cradle Company. Let's welcome her to the show. Hello to Brandy, hello to Brandy, hello, 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 hello to all our old friends, hello to all our new friends, hello, 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 one last time, hello everybody, hello everybody, it's nice to see you here today, hello everybody, hello everybody, it's nice to see you here. All right. Today I am speaking with Brandy Jordan. Brandy has been helping new families grow, adjust, and find balance for almost two decades. Brandy is a board certified lactation consultant, pediatric sleep specialist, newborn care specialist, and postpartum doula. She holds a BA in child development, a master's of social work from USC, where she is also adjunct faculty lecturing in the area of infant mental health and culturally competent mental health care. In 2009, she opened the Cradle Company, a pregnancy and postpartum resource center. Brandy's work as a consultant, a parenting group leader, and in-home practitioner has led her to develop a unique philosophy of gentle parenting techniques that are a pragmatic, practical, and healthy approach for the whole family. And in 2018, Brandy founded the National Association of Birth Workers of Color. Brandy, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Learn With Less. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Well, today we are going to be talking a whole lot about tips for parents, what conscious and gentle parenting are, things like that. But I would love it if you could start. I gave the sort of formal introduction, (laughs) but I'd love to tell our listeners a bit more about your background and really how you came to do the work that you are doing today. 
So uh, I came to this very much differently than most people. So <laughs> when I was 19, I was home from the summer from Texas originally. You know, you were trying to, I was trying to figure out what I really wanted to be doing. And I was in my car and NPR came on and it was talking about this old timey career called midwifery. <laughs> um, and so I was like, what is this? What is it like? I need to know everything. And so I don't know if it was a problem of going online or looking, looking at a yellow pages back then, whatever we had back then, but I cold called a personer who, for whatever reason, allowed a 19 year old to come and train with them. And oh I kind of just like found my space in life, but I was also 19. It was like, who the heck is going to hire someone who's 19 to be their doula or whatever. And so I kind of put it out of my mind, but I knew I wanted to work with families. And so I went down the child development track that next year I moved to LA to finish my studies. And I moved next door to the Hollywood birthing center. I would say not by chance, but <laughs> neighbor. And so I was like, okay, maybe I should do something with this. And so I took a, a formal doula training in 2001 and just found my calling with parents and with families. And while I was doing the academic side of like getting, you know, a bachelor's degree, getting a master's degree. I was also working inside the home doing doula work and just seeing, you know, I didn't have children of my own back then. And so I was kind of just seeing like what people were learning, what they were doing and matching that up to how I was parented and kind of having this idea of like, what do I want to take with me on that journey that I learned in my own childhood? What do I want to you know, take away? And then had my first in 2007 and kind of went down this path of like, how do we connect more, um, be more gentle to ourselves and to our parents and kind of do it in a way that's actually practical, that makes sense for all of the pressure that we do have on ourselves as modern parents. Here, here. Love it. Well, let's talk a little bit about these terms, you know, conscious parenting, gentle parenting. Let's talk a little bit about what conscious parenting is and also what it isn't, because I think these, this is like such a important conversation. I think parents, caregivers today, we hear these terms being thrown around. These are, you know, terms that certain people have like created and then run with, and then it's, you know, this thing in, in the parenting ether. And I think it would be nice to just hear your definition in your own words and right. from your own experiences as both a parent and a professional, can you give us a little bit of a definition of about what you understand this, yeah, this whole so, world? <laughs> I feel like conscious parenting is such a loaded word, but it's totally. kind of one of those things that we use it because it gives people kind of an idea of what we're talking about. Yeah. But I think when people think of that, they're thinking of like, you know, these super woo-woo parents who do yoga and who are vegan and... <laughs> most likely white, you know? And so there's a lot of connotations when we think about yeah. conscious parenting. Yeah. Um, and I use that term because I know that people have this idea that it's kind of this parenting from the inside out. Yeah. But I'm hoping that we change when we think about that word, that it has more global diversified connotation of just people who are trying to get closer to the parents they wanted to be before they had kids. Yes. I think we all have this idea of like, the perfect parents we're going to be before we had children. And then oh my we, gosh. reality sets in. <laughs> Especially those like professionals among us, <laughs> yeah. right. Who have always worked with families, but yeah. yeah. But I think it's this idea that like, 
you realize how imprinted your own journey of parenting is like on a cellular level. And it's kind of being really conscious of that yes. and figuring out, you know, what is, what parts of this is serving me and helping me to create the relationship I want with my children and what part isn't. And the idea that it's conscious is more that you have to be intentional about it. Mm-hmm. It's not something that just saying like, I'm going to be conscious is going to work. It's like the actual intentional of like, what is your story? Like, what things did you love about the way that you were parented? What things are were missing in that equation? And how do you make a turn if you want to with your own children? Mm-hmm. And the idea that it has to be something that you actually think about, talk about, make a plan for, um, and falter many times. Um, <laughs> but that's what I think about when I think about conscious parenting. And my goal is that people start to look at it differently. Like mm-hmm. being a conscious parent doesn't mean that you're it's you know letting your kid do everything. It doesn't mean permissiveness. It doesn't mean that you have to be this like, you know, person who's made it to this place of enlightenment, you know, like I I use lots of F-bombs and I'm still a conscious parent, you know, (laughs) with my children, but you know, it's this idea that you have to be like this yogi who's mindful and never, you know, loses their temper. It's not perfection is what I really get up, you know, across. It's really flawed people that we are trying to be better for our children. And to me, that's conscious parenting. Yes. So, so many important points to unpack there (laughs) and to to think about. I do want to hit on something that you did say, which I think is really important, especially for our listeners who come from a very wide variety of backgrounds, whether they are based in the U.S., based in the quote unquote rest of the world, whether they are diverse in race and culture and uh, ability level and all of those, you know, power holding spaces. I want to just touch upon that, what you said about how we think of white families when we think of conscious parenting. And I, I think that's really interesting. And I think it's totally true that in general, the white parenting world has become this ubiquitous, like, yes, that's the like place that everyone thinks that we aspire to or something. And I would like to just hear in your words, what about conscious parenting do you think is reflective of whiteness and white society okay. and white parenting? I think there's a couple of, like, I will just say in quotations, parenting philosophies yeah. or groups that have kind of coined terms, you know, that create this kind of social status in parenthood, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be that you have some kind of, you know, monopoly on attachment or <laughs> monopoly on consciousness, whatever. <laughs> and it becomes this kind of way to like, you know, we're doing this and they're doing that. And it also it has a condescending flavor to it that like we're more arrived, we're more like in the know because we're doing these practices with our children. And I think a lot of those organizations or those groups tend to have a large, you know, white parent following people who tend to be middle to upper middle class following those. And so it in some ways becomes very reflective of, especially in the United States, very reflective of what parenting circles look like. You know, we have the have and the have nots like that are going to these circles. And so I think that creates a little bit of a condescending nature. Like, you know, I was at a park once and I remember a mom like going around asking everyone if they if their kid wanted a parsley snack. I was like, no kid wants a fucking parsley snack. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, 
I could tell to her, it seemed like a really like arrived that my kid doesn't eat sugar. My kid doesn't have this or that. Like she talked about it at the park. And it's like, you know, I, I, I think it's great if that works for your family and it's great for your DNA and your own biodiversity of food. And that makes you guys feel strong and healthy. But in some ways we use it as this kind of like badge of honor. And I think we see that in a lot of different places when it comes to parents of, you know, differing backgrounds, that there is kind Mm -hmm. of a um, segregation that happens. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why a lot of people, when they hear that, they kind of think like, oh, that's for which white parents, it isn't for us. Mm -hmm. And my goal is that I want both BIPOC parents and white parents to see that there is a place for them in conscious parenting, because it means that we are treating our children with respect, that we're giving them their space to become who they should be, and not something that like we left on the table and want to get it through our kids. And I think if if we don't make that distinction and we keep it divided, that there's a lot of kids who are going to suffer in that. You know, and I don't want it to be the social status. It should be that we're all striving to create a space that is more just and more gentle for our kids. But I think, you know, like so many conversations that we need to have in the United States, there has to be one around parenting and what that support looks like and what it looks like for, you know, all people. Yes, absolutely. Well, I think so much of what the conversation tends to be within circles of parents of all kinds, it becomes divisive, right? It's so Mm -hmm. easy to get to get two parents, whether they look exactly the same or whether they look totally different or whether they came from totally similar backgrounds or not together. And it's really hard, I think, for many parents to see the commonalities, especially in those early days when you're overwhelmed, you're trying to make the quote unquote best decision for your child and for your family. It can feel very divisive. And I think you and I are are both working towards this community approach of, look, when we get each other together, when we provide these supports, when we provide, you know, knowledge and education around intentional practices, whether that's, you know, parenting, whether that has to do with, with breastfeeding or sleep or child development or how we engage our children in play, all of those things, when we bring people together to sort of observe each other, observe their children, figure out what's happening, we find that families tend to say, oh, oh, okay, this is happening for you, or that's not happening for you, or I never had to deal with that. My goodness, how great that I finally got to understand that that's something that you think about every day, for instance. So I just, I thank you for that. And I think it's, I, in my own personal opinion and thoughts, like community is how we move through this, Mm -hmm. all of it, right? Mm -hmm. Is, is looking at those commonalities and those divisions and helping each other understand what, what life looks like for somebody else. (laughs) Right. I'd just like to add, you know, parenting is probably one of the greatest cultural expressions that we have. (laughs) And so, you know, when we have these rules that are set for people, like, you have to do this when your kid is misbehaving and you should be doing this. You cut out, you know, the way that different cultures deal with those things. Yes. When we have this kind of like one size fits all to parenting, which so many of these like, you know, parenting philosophies or mm-hmm. things that people are following. And it definitely cuts out like the cultural part that is important, the values that are gonna be different from, you know, family to family. Mm-hmm. And it's figuring out how do you get all that inside of it while still being gentle. And I think that's kind of what's been missing. Oh God. Yes. So let's, let's move a little bit into some, some useful tips from you about 
<laughs> how to do that practically right. on, on a day-to-day basis. When you and I spoke uh, previously in preparation for this discussion, you were talking about how, yeah, like, <laughs> how do we do this in this not, you know, this is not just breathing through it. Like, how do I actually get my toddler to put their shoes on in the morning? So right. would love to hear a few of your, you know, best favorite uh, useful tips for, for practical strategies using gentle parenting and conscious type parenting approaches. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that I would say is that we often, you know, look for these formulas yeah. and we skip over like the easiest, most basic things and the simple things that we just feel like aren't going to work. And it's, and it sounds so simple when you're telling someone that, but it's like, but did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, actually totally. did it. And so, you know, I think about for young children, I think that's probably a stressful stage for so many of us. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a teenager and young kids, you know, so I'm in all the stages at three, five and 13. And so particularly when I'm working with clients with younger children, they're dealing with a lot of like big emotions. Like they're trying to figure out their limits, you know, they're super emotional. They don't necessarily have the cognitive or, you know, impulse development that allows them to um, act like sane humans. And so we're often managing those things. And I once went to something paired with, let let me just say paired with that, like sleep deprivation on the parent end, right. And the like feelings of overwhelm and trying to figure it out in that all your own transition and into and through those early years of parenthood, like we are lacking in our own impulse control. And exactly. And all exactly. That. You know, it's such a, like I always say, parenting is a parallel process. Yeah. And so there's so much focus on like, how do I get my child to do act? And it's like, how are you handling yourself? That's number one. And yeah. so if you're lacking sleep, and you're meeting your, you know, your two-year-old hasn't slept, like two dysregulated brains meeting each other are going nowhere fast. (laughs) And so, you know, the first thing I tell parents is, is like the same way you do the care of your children, like making sure they get to bed on time and they brush their teeth and whatever, you got to do that with yourself first. You know, I know it's hard if you're getting up with an infant, but sometimes you have to decide, like, do I want to scroll Facebook? Do I want to take a nap? You know, do I need to entertain, you know, in different times when we're not actually able to entertain back in the <laughs> olden days when we didn't have the pandemic. You know, it's the decisions that we make that sometimes take away from our quality of life because we get into these shoulds, I should be doing or I have to be doing. And a lot of times it's that lack of self-care that creates a lot of the frustration that we have. Now, once you're kind of saying like, I'm taking care of myself, I'm, you know, I need more than self-care. Like what else are the things, the practical things You know, one thing I always talk to my um, toddler parents about is this idea that you can't rush toddlers. It's not possible. (laughs) It's probably one of the biggest frustrations for parents is getting their kids to do something, getting them out the door in the morning when you got to be at work, you're already running late and, you know, they're still eating cereal and they should be dressed and it's all those things. And it comes down to what time did you guys get up, (laughs) you know, right? Right. working backwards. Yeah. Yeah. you know, to do this task. And it sounds like a really simple solution, but we have to like put time in our schedules to be at their pace. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we're making our little ones and even our 12 and 13 year olds be on our pace. Yeah. Um, and it creates a lot of frustration because they just can't do it. They can't be in our pace. They don't care about our pace because they're still in the mindset that they're on their own time frame and schedule. And we're the ones that need to get on board. And yeah. So and that like, Cheerio, like looking at exactly. that Cheerio from every different angle is a very important learning moment, right? <laughs> you know, so thinking like, if you know, you've got to be at work at 8.15, yeah. you know, how much time realistically do you need to have in that morning routine so that you don't feel rushed, that you can sit next to the door with a toddler who wants to take 10 minutes to do it. I got to do it myself. 
mm-hmm. you know, to put that shoe on, you know, then there's days that, that won't work out. Of course, yeah. I totally understand. You overslept, you're tired, you slept in, whatever. But, you know, if 80% of the time, 75% of the time, you have this idea of like, I know that my toddler has a hard time with this one task, yeah. I'm going to double the amount of time that I give to them. The control that parents feel in that space of control over themselves and their emotions, that they're really actually being intentional about the idea that their kid actually needs something mm-hmm. during that space. And they're just not being annoying <laughs> and trying mm-hmm. to like, right. you know, make them late for work. Like right. that little flip just changes everything. You know, and it still yes. might be frustrating, but when you kind of plan for it, it creates more of a sense of control over your own emotions. And so that's one of my biggest tips for families. Like you just need to give more time to kids. To I love that. Yeah. Right. I think time is such a huge thing. And, and there are other tools too, right? Like, like visuals, right? Like I remember, especially when my older one, who's now seven was like three, four years old, he did really well with getting out of the door like, okay, well, what do we need to do before we leave? Right. Mm-hmm. Here are the, here are the things like, here's the reminder, right? So whether it's a visual schedule on top of planning like mm-hmm. backwards, right? Because again, like you were saying, this is so much about reverse engineering from, from the parent end, right? What do we right. need to get done? How, what are the tools that we need to put in place so that we can get these things done? So I love that. Yes, knowing you in that space, you learn your own triggers as well. Because often they're feeding off off of you. Like one of my triggers is like the one shoe and taking 25 minutes to put the other shoe on. (laughs) And so for me, it's like, I want to have extra time. And so you go put your shoes on, I'm going to get myself ready, Mm -hmm. you know, so that I'm not there for most of that dilly dallying time, you know, of getting the shoe on, because that's my own trigger, you know? And so just building that in, it just creates a bit of a, you know, I'm able to be more gentle, to be more patient um, because there's time built in. You know, the other thing, you know, that we talk about a lot in conscious parenting, because you want to take out this idea of like, you know, behavioral modification and like making them, you know, be compliant. It's more about like, how can we be in relationship with each other to get the things done that we need to get done in this family? Um, And so I'm not using things like rewards and things like that because I want it to be an intrinsic want to actually Mm -hmm. help and be a helpful part of the community. Um, And so sometimes that looks like just being really descriptive. Like you might've heard, like there's a really good book that I would recommend to your listeners and some of it, you know, like I said, anything take it to, you know, take some that you want and leave the others part, but it's called happier, easier, calmer parenting. Mm. Um, and in her book, she talks a lot about descriptive praise, mm-hmm. meaning it's not the idea that we're just like giving people, the kids a high five because they like, you know, you know, woke up, you know, I feel like there's so much like, you know, junk praise that we're giving. It's more just like talking about the things that we want them to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about the things that we saw them do that were great. And it's kind of like, I saw today, you know, you got your shoes on right when mom asked you to put your shoes on. Very matter of fact, right. no one's getting a cartwheel or, you know, a, uh, <laughs> you know, candy or something like that because they did something that you wanted them to do. But you are putting it out there in the universe that that is a behavior. That's something that was really helpful. And saying that um, can be really helpful as opposed to like, you know, doing rewards and things like that, but tend to like work for a while and then it won't work later. But when it comes like, out of them and their own value system, it's more long-term. I think that is so great. I love that tool too, because it can, it can be applied on both sides. I guess you could say like that non-judgmental, just observing, saying sort of what you see happening can be applied for like the, wow, I, I saw that you did that, um, 
you know, so well or whatever. I saw that you put your shoes on. Great. Uh, and it can also be like, wow, I saw, I saw that you left your shoes out and I tripped on them. That really mm -hmm. hurt. Like here's where we put our shoes or whatever. Right. Exactly. And it's like you were saying, it's, it's much more about being in relationship with another person. And instead of that sort of hierarchical positioning of I am the parent, you follow my exactly. rules. And that becomes really authoritarian yeah. and shouty. Like that's when I get into really like, quick. Me, that's like a really easy way to go to like shout parenting, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that like, they're not listening to me. And it's like, yeah. that's where the ego starts to get involved. And so much about conscious parenting is kind of letting go of the ego and the expectation, you know, and what we've been trained to know, like I was trained that kids are supposed to listen to the jump. When I say jump, they say how high, right. you know, that's how I was trained, you know, yeah. that there was a hierarchy and children are at the bottom of that hierarchy. Um, and to unlearn that, that means that I have to be really mindful of like those structures I'm setting up and I fall back into them. So it's not about perfection. Like yeah. there are many times where I'm just like, oh, wow, that was a little control freakish. Let me <laughs> pull that back a little bit. Like, why am I saying no to this? Yeah. Because I've been conditioned to say no or because there's actually something wrong with this request or what they're asking or what they're doing. All um, the time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. I think pandemic living gives us, you know, so many more opportunities to, to, en to enjoy that reflecting and that unlearning for sure. I think that people, when we talk about gentle parenting, this is a time where you need to be the most gentle to yourself, mm -hmm. you know? And I think, you know, I was talking with someone and they were like, you know, can you believe that, you know, so-and-so like the teacher had my, you know, four-year-old doing Zoom all day. Like, hmm, was a teacher in your house? Like how, you know, it's like, the question is, it's like, no, no one's forcing us to do that. We're choosing to. Like, why do we yeah. feel like there's certain things we have to do if we're feeling within our soul that it's not helping our children? And it goes back to like what we've been trained, like who's authority and who we're supposed to listen to regardless of what our internal being is telling us we should or shouldn't be doing. You know, the same thing we don't want our kids to stop doing, we have forgotten because that's how we were conditioned. And so, you know, in this time where there's going to be things that are happening, we're just like, you know what, that doesn't feel good to me in my, for, my, for myself or for my kids. It's going to take some people like bucking against that and saying, hey, I don't think I want my three-year-old to do Zoom classes all day long. Like I'm noticing that it's making them ragey and making me ragey. <laughs> and, you know, we're having a problem with that. And I think so a lot of this is coming up for people because they do have this instinct that, you know, this maybe isn't the way for my young child or my older child and not really sure, you know, if it's okay yeah. to say no or to take a stance for your child. Um, and so I think we're all kind of figuring that out and what that space is. Obviously, we're all concerned about our community's health and doing things that make sense for our community. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's it, it's going to be also a parallel process to make sure that we're doing things that are okay for like our kids' yeah. brains and long-term development. So yeah, yeah, I think we're all learning that, but I'm getting lots of emails from parents about the emotional factor of the pandemic on their children and the behaviors that they're seeing. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We're going to take just a brief break to share a word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by my free infant toddler development blueprint. As a learn, as a parent or caregiver of an infant or toddler, you want to make sure you're doing it right. 
right? But everywhere you look, there's another learning toy or a fancy subscription box that you don't have room for and that your child seems to lose interest in all too quickly. You want to support your infant or toddler's development, but you struggle to find the right toys or enough time and energy to do it. You just want the map to get through these first few years and find more joy in the journey as well. If any of this rings true for you, you're in the right place. Right now, I'm giving away my infant toddler development blueprint, a straightforward guide that will help you discover the four major areas of development in the first three years of life and what's involved in each of those areas. You'll find out what you can do to support development using what you already have in your home and learn how to follow my four pillar framework to maximize the time you're already spending with your tiny human and much, much more. If you're ready to boost your infant or toddler's learning, stop feeling like you're winging it all the time and simply your life, head to learnwithless.com slash blueprint and download my free infant toddler development blueprint today. I would love to hear from you also some tips for those younger, even younger than toddler. Cause we do have a mm-hmm. lot of like brand new parents right. uh, of, of infants and toddlers in the zero to three years listening in, uh, as mm-hmm. well as professionals working with that age range. So we, I, th- I feel like we've talked a lot about like that two and a half to and up, but I'd yeah. love to hear a little bit from you about even the younger set. Yeah. So, you know, most of my career has been spent working with young babies and pregnant people. And so that's kind of my specialty. I think, you know, there's a thing that I always say to clients, you know, that calm is contagious. It's really true because, you know, I work a lot with clients who are having difficulties with their baby sleeping or having breastfeeding issues, et cetera. And so I'll go and like, you know, do the thing. And they're like, I did exactly what you've been doing. Like, why the heck did that baby go to bed right now? And I was like, it's not what I'm doing. It's what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. And that could sound woo-woo for some people, but, you know, they're so innocent and open and so aware of what's happening around them with people's emotional state and what they're carrying, you know? And so when someone's coming to them with like the secure center and, you know, security, They feed off of that and that feels good and they pay attention to that, you know? And so if you're coming to the space with like, oh my God, like how long is this going to take? Like, oh, it's going to take an hour and a half for this kid to go to sleep. And it's hard not to be in that space. I totally get that. But the baby is open to that and listening to that and it is affecting them. And so a lot of times it's kind of, you know, what do you need to do to get into that space where you're able to go into this bedtime? This is a new bedtime. This is a fresh space. Like let's renew that energy around it. And so, so much of, what happens between parents and babies, a lot of that is like how well we're dealing with our own emotional state. And I know parents are probably tired of like, why is it always me? Like, why can't I just do something for this kid? Like, why is it always fixing myself? <laughs> um, but particularly with babies, you know, a lot of those techniques, obviously routine can be something that is really helpful for young babies. And that's whatever routine works for you, not what routine the book said, because the book doesn't know that you work nights or that, you know, you're parenting by yourself or whatever, but a routine, whatever that is for your family um, can be something that can be really helpful to babies managing their emotions. It also makes it much easier for parents to see those shift in emotions and better understand their cues. Like if they're hungry versus bored versus overtired, it's much easier to see that when you guys have kind of developed your own rhythm and routine whatever right. that is. Right. When there's a pattern to follow, you notice a pattern interrupt, whether exactly. you're a baby or a grown up. Yes. Exactly. So the <laughs> first step that I, for any client that I'm working with, it's like, 
I need to see a log. Tell me what's happening with this baby. Because really it feels like groundhog day when you're a new parent and you're kind of like in a barrage of either bottle feeding or breastfeeding and, or sitting on your sofa doing the same thing 10 times a day. It's hard to kind of see that. And so just by doing the log, sometimes parents have their own epiphany, like, oh my goodness, I'm seeing that from like one to six, like she, she's, you know, eating every five minutes and not really actually having a full meal. Like you might, you find these things, you're able to do the log. And so if, if you're not doing that, you're dealing with, you know, eating problems, sleeping problems, breastfeeding problems. The first step is to actually just start to write it down. Yeah. If you're not already doing that, because that'll one, give you more information. But if you're enlisting someone to help you, they'll have a much better picture of the situation if it's, you know, written down as well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to just say too, I, I like your distinction of writing down the sort of routines and the patterns Mm -hmm. much more than like recording every single feed. And that like, it was on the left side, it was on the right side. He had three ounces, whatever, like, because personally speaking in my own experience, like I definitely got into that, like rigid need for control, which absolutely contributed to my own like early postpartum anxiety style fun, you know? (laughs) And, um, and so I think that suggestion that you just gave of, of a much more sort of top level, which is a harder thing to get your head around when you're in it. right? Right. But I totally appreciate it because I think it's so important that we don't stick to the minutia And like, when I say this, I know this is a podcast and nobody can see my, my whole body is like totally tensing up. Right. (laughs) But But that's what we want to avoid. Exactly. Like there is flexibility in parenting. There is so much room to like create your own system. And so if the book is saying your kid has to eat at nine, 12, three, maybe for your kid, that means seven, nine, 11, two, you know? And so when people ask me for a schedule, I always like, I know it's helpful for people to have a framework, but I always kind of like do my own kind of like, uh, should I, should I not? Because I want people to know there's so much flexibility and it's just kind of like get into the rhythm of figuring out what your rhythm is, because there will be a rhythm. Even if it's like not what the book says, you guys have a rhythm. The question is whether or not it's working for you or not. You know, and if it's not working for you, then by all means, try something else. See if another system makes more sense or makes you feel at ease. But if you're doing anything that doesn't bring the feeling of ease, don't do that, (laughs) you know? So it might seem like the thing that everyone's doing and all the friends at the parenting circle are going to this class. This is what their person says. But if you do it and it makes you anxious or it makes you feel incompetent or it makes you feel like you can't get anything right, it's probably not the thing for you to be doing. And I think that's what I want parents to connect to more is having like more of a body compass check of like, you know what, I feel really good. This feels easy. Like I'm doing this with ease. I don't feel like I have to study for, you know, a calculus exam to figure out (laughs) this thing. And if you're feeling that most of the time, you're probably on the right track. Oh gosh. I mean, just that permission, I think is like, that's it for people. Fabulous. Thank you. (laughs) Well. I I mean, it's so important for, for parents to hear this. So, okay. So we've talked about some of those resources that are like the rigid ones, the, the book that says this, the book that says that, what are actually some of the, the resources that you do like to recommend to families? I mean, it's hard because, you know, there is so much of like our own parenting stuff and our culture wrapped up into it. And so a lot of the books discount other people's culture, even if they have good tips. Yes. And so I always tell people like, take what you like and what you don't, just don't pay attention to that. Like don't follow anything, but don't let anyone, even myself cancel out what you know to be true for yourself and your baby. 
you know, take it as compliments to your already amazing intuition, whether you believe that or not, you have it. It's just starting to believe it is the, is the thing that we have to work on. Yes. Um, and so a uh, happier, easier parent, you know, calmer parenting is one that I recommend. And surprisingly, one that I recommend that is not a parenting book at all is a book called um, The Big Leap. Um, yes, I'm reading that right now. Yeah. So good. And for me, like literally the first 20 minutes that book was life changing to me because so much of it is learning to accept where we are ourselves in life as perfect mm. and not in need of being fixed and, and worthy of like love and happiness every single day. And I think for me, like I recommend that to all parents to read because so much of the way that we parent our children is wrapped up in our own self-worth. That if yes. my kid is doing X or not doing this, I'm going to be either considered a good parent or a bad parent. And none of what our kids should be doing should be a reflection of us. And right. so I feel like it's such a great book to kind of get that idea that things could just be going right. Like we don't have to plan for failure or for things to go bad. And I see that so much with the families that I work with, particularly babies, that we do have this like, you know, what if this happens or what if that happens? It's like, and so much of that, I think, is things are going, it feels so good. And being a parent feels so good. We're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know? And it's like, how do we train ourselves not to believe that something bad has to happen when, you know, you are happy and doing well and your kids are thriving mm -hmm. so that we can pass that kind of feeling onto our kids? Mm, absolutely. I think such a big part of this too is having that opportunity to be in community with other families For because sure. that gives you the reflective practice of, oh, <laughs> you're trying it that way. That yeah. looks like something I might want to try or my goodness, I would never do that. I don't think that sounds good to me at all. Either way. <laughs> and finding that community that is going to be like that. <laughs> yes, exactly. So exactly. There's a lot of communities, yeah. but is it a community that's going to be mom shaming or exactly. like, oh, your kid has sugar or, you know, oh, you're bottle feeding, you know, like yeah. you got to be, be really, you know, I tell people like you got to be so protective of the people that you bring into your parenting village, because it's almost like, you know, it becomes, you know, like almost things like ideas spread, feelings spread. If everyone's doing one thing, even if you instinctively feel like it's not the right thing, you're going to feel like you need to do what everyone else is doing, because it also it automatically becomes like this, like, well, well, maybe I'm picking the wrong thing. If right. these 10 people are saying this is the right thing. So I tell people like, you want to make sure that you're getting into spaces that are curated with the idea that there's so many ways to do the same thing and that no one is doing it wrong. Everyone's figuring out like, what's the best mix for that child? Because I have three kids and I'm not going to parent any of them the same. Nope. You know, if I'm doing it right, you yeah. know, if I'm, yeah. if I'm doing it right, you know? So I think it's, you know, being really mindful of how a community makes you feel. Yeah. If you're yeah. feeling the need to perform in a community, to show up as something different, to not like let your full hot mess self show up, mm -hmm. then I want you to kind of rethink why you're in that community. Is there a better community where you can 100% be yourself and find people that you can have deep relationship with, that you can lean on yeah. when things are going really bad, when you don't feel competent? Because we all have those feelings, you know, of inadequacy. Yeah. But you have to be within a real community to be able to share that and get those, you know, kind of pep talks and real talk from people. And you can't do that when you're not presenting your full self because you're either feeling insecure or you wanting to meet some kind of standard. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. 
Thank you. Brandy, where can people find you? All my pages are public. So they Brandy Jordan on Facebook, on Instagram, I'm Brandy Jordan official. And then I have my free parenting support group that embodies a lot we're talking about, which is Calm is Contagious. And you can find that um, on Facebook as a group. Say it, say it one more time. Calm, Calm is contagious. Calm is contagious. Perfect. Thank yes. you. Yes. No, thank you. Thank you, so you. Thank you um, for all that you do and just teaching people this idea of like more connection, less things, and, you know, having some mindful relationships. So the last thing that I wanted that I didn't mention about yeah. this last tip is touch. That's one thing that we don't talk enough about. Like so many people in the world are under touch yeah. and that promotes more depression, more anxiety, more all the things. And the human mammal is the only mammal that can't survive its infancy without touch. And so particularly in this time, we're not, none of us are getting enough stimulation, taking time throughout the day just to like touch your baby, like have a little bit of massage. If that's just like five minutes before bedtime, it was just playing with their hair before a nap, you know, just doing as much of that as possible. It's just building so much in their brain, so much with the attachment and security. And they need more of it because they're not getting enough of that with like friends and seeing friendly faces when they're out on walks because we're all masked up that we can kind of counteract that with providing them with more touch and physical interaction with it, with them than we normally would. I love that. That's great. How about for the parents who feel overtouched? <laughs> uh, I know a lot of moms who feel overtouched. <laughs> Myself included. Yes. <laughs> um, I felt that very much so during breastfeeding that I was very overtouched that I had to like actually have like lots of time yeah. where I was like not with baby, not with anyone. My husband would have to like, there was this 90 minute span and evening times where I was just overtouched, where I would go and just do my own thing, which meant not hearing, talking, or seeing, or touching anyone yeah. <laughs> for 90 minutes. But I kind of like put that in purposely. And I think a lot of people don't give themselves permission to say like, Hey, you know what? I'm a bit overtouched. Like, you know, I would like it that you're not uh, doing a handstand and breastfeeding right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so knowing that it's okay to make those boundaries for your body, you know, in those times where you're feeling overtouched, it might be good not necessarily to be touching yourself, but, you know, you, you know, doing more of that for yourself, but finding ways to kind of release that. So taking a hot bath, doing, you know, a vaginal steam, which might seem like, why would I do that for touching? It's about the release and the relaxation mm -hmm. to kind of release that tension. And so sometimes when you don't want to be touched, having something just like steam and heat can make you feel that release without like getting a massage or, yeah. you know, having someone, you know, caress you or et cetera, et cetera. That can be a way to release that. So those are things that I recommend for someone who is feeling overtouched to find ways to have that feeling of weightlessness or, you know, and you most likely will feel that in water. And so having, yes. you know, a nice shower, a nice bath, some time to just like be in your own space, you know, for me, like I like warm things. And so if I can just like put myself in a cocoon, you yeah. know, like my like hot water, my little hot water bottle has been yes. like my, my thing this and since it cooled down. Yeah, it's great. Well, you need that kind of relaxation. If you happen to not be a warm person, then doing things that make you feel cool. Maybe you're like smelling a little peppermint, yeah. you know, doing like, you know, sometimes I would do like a cold towel and like put some eucalyptus or lavender on and put it in like in the fridge or the freezer, mm -hmm. like put them on the back of your neck and just like sit somewhere. Like if you're a person who tends to be hot, yeah. you know, so just find ways to kind of have that release of tension, of frustration, whatever that is. If you can't do it every day, you have to at least put it in one time a week. And if we can't give that to ourselves, that means we need to redo our entire schedule if, if we can't give ourselves like one hour a week. I love it. Thanks, Brandy. No, thank thank you, you for that permission. Yes. <laughs> so 
good. Thank you so much for your time and energy today. I really appreciate it. And I'm so happy to share this episode with listeners. Oh, I'm so happy as well. So thank you. And thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. See you later. What will you do the rest of your day? Goodbye to the babies. Goodbye to the toddlers. Goodbye, bigger kids. Goodbye, all the siblings. Goodbye to the grown-ups. Goodbye to the singers. Goodbye, Ayalid. Goodbye to Brandy. We laughed and we played. We're getting very clever. This is what counts. Being here together. Thank you so much, everyone. The Learn With Less podcast brings you information, tips, and resources about all things early parenthood and early childhood. Don't forget to download our free infant toddler development blueprint by heading to learnwithless.com blueprint today. And if you haven't yet done so, please do leave a review of the Learn With Less podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. That does help other people find the good work we're doing. And after you've done that, go ahead and share Learn With Less with a friend or colleague directly. See you next time.